Well, hey, let's uh, continue in Scripture, uh, our time in worship this morning in Scripture. So I'm going to invite you to pull out Scripture. If you brought it, great. If you need to borrow it, look to the pew ahead of you. Take that, and let's go to Galatians chapter 2. And so this week, we are continuing in our exchange series. And one of the things uh, that we've been doing in this season with exchange is we're talking about what are some of the exchanges that God is inviting each of us to make. So uh, we've been looking at the things that he's inviting us to give him, knowing that God will give us something in return. And so in the first week, we talked about expectations, how when we give God our expectations, he will give in return his better plan. And his better plan is one that works out for his glory and for our good. And then last week, Brett preached about giving God our anxieties and our worries and how God will return or in return give us his peace. And I was really uh, in our connect group this week. I was, I was blown away. I missed uh, the service last week because of drill. But we spent time talking about the sermon in our connect groups. And one of the things that uh, we were talking about is just how prevalent the idea of or rather the presence of anxiety and worry is in our lives, even as people who know Jesus, right? Brett shared last week about how in version, what the number one searched verse is Philippians 4, 6, and just how it speaks to the fact that as a culture, we're stressed and we're plagued with anxieties and worries, and, and, and it's no different outside the church as it is in, and it's so important for us as God's people to know what it means to, through prayer, to exchange our worries and our anxieties and to receive his peace. And so if you missed it last week, it was a great sermon that really speaks to our condition there. And now this week in the third week, we're continuing with the exchange series and we're looking at exchanging our efforts for God's grace. Exchanging trying to earn God's approval for receiving the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And so I was thinking about this there's uh, one of the things in our house is I've learned through raising kids with Taylor that I can successfully raise little humans to become adults. I can do that. But Taylor knows how to make childhood fun for the kids. And so that's what I love about our dynamic is I can raise them, but she makes it fun for them. And one of the fun things that we do in our house during this time of the year is an advent calendar is we look through and every day there's an activity. There's something, maybe it's just a fun Christmas activity or it's something that orients us and points us to the story of Christmas and the arrival of our Savior. But one of the things that we did this year for the Advent calendar is the kids filled out little postcards to Santa. Our kids believe in Santa. And so they filled out these cards and Taylor bought them. And on one side it says, Dear Santa, this year I'm grateful for, and they can fill in a blank, and then also they can say, this year what I want for Christmas is, and they can fill out the blanks. And then on the back side, now they fill these out, and then they put them in an envelope, and they mail them to Santa. So they don't know that mom and dad are going to see these things. But on the, on the back side of the card, it says this. They're supposed to self-describe their behavior for the year, <laughs> which is just fascinating. It reveals so much about the hearts of children. So my six-year-old Carson, my oldest son, we're opening up his, and there's three options that the kids can fill out. This year, I have been very nice. This year, I have just been nice. And then the third option, and this is the one that Carson filled out, 
this year I've been a little naughty, but I'm going to try harder to be good. And I look at that, and I'm like, man, what, is, what am I teaching the soul of my six-year-old? But he, he filled that out, not knowing that if mom and dad were going to read it. And I look at that, and I was thinking about that, and it just struck me. How for so many of us, as people who are seeking to follow after Jesus, we know the reality of grace, right? We've experienced it if you've placed your faith in Jesus. We know what his grace is like, and yet many of us live out just what Carson described on his little Santa postcard. That deep down when we look at who we believe we are, even if we know Jesus, we live with that that I'm just a little bit naughty. I'm still a little bit broken. But don't worry, God, this year I'm going to try harder to be good. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an identity behind this. That, God, you don't approve of me. And so this year or now, today, I'm going to change. I'm going to try harder And when I try harder, when I become good, then you will approve of me. Then you will love me. Then I will have earned your grace. I will have earned the way that you feel about me. And so my prayer this morning as we look to Scripture is that uh, that grace, that we would just breathe that in this morning. And for you, maybe it's the first time. Maybe you've never experienced the grace of God in your life. Maybe you've heard about it, but this morning I pray that you would understand and experience that in Christ, we can experience the reality of God's grace. God's grace meaning that you are approved by him. And maybe for those of us who have been following after Jesus for a while, maybe you've fallen back into that category of you start off experiencing and living in the vibrancy of God's grace, and then somewhere along the line, you and I have the tendency to shift back to, I'm going to fix this mess. I'm going to fix this mess of my life, Jesus, and when I do, then you will approve of me. And my prayer is this morning for each of us that as we encounter God in his word, that that we're just going to breathe in his grace. And that grace is going to be motivating to us. That you and I might live out of his grace instead of living to seek it, living to earn it. And so with that, we find ourselves in Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. You can join me there, and I'll read aloud for us. Now, Scripture says this, We who are Gentiles by birth and not, or sorry, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. But if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray, Lord, this morning for each of us, whether it's for the first time or for another time, Lord, I pray that we would experience the reality of your grace. And I pray that would change us, that it would change the way that we see ourselves and it would change the way that we live our lives, not as people who are seeking your approval, but as people who already have it because of you, Lord Jesus. So we love you and I pray that your word would have an effect in our lives, that it would orient us further in the direction of faithfulness to you. And so it's for that end and for your glory, Lord, that we pray these things. And all God's people pray, amen. So here's where we're kind of parachuting into Galatians 2. There's a reason that Paul, in writing this, is going on this kind of eloquent and passionate tangent about why you're not justified by what you do, rather through belief in Jesus. And if you look at the verses before these verses, there's a situation that was arising. So another apostle, Peter, had come from Jerusalem to Antioch. And now Peter was a Jewish Christian. He was a person from a Jewish background who put his faith in Jesus And then he comes to Antioch, and he begins to share meals with Gentile Christians. Now, Gentile Christians are just people who weren't Jews before they became Christians. And so Peter comes to Antioch, and he's sharing meals with them. Now, in Jewish culture, that was kind of a no-no to share a meal with somebody who wasn't Jewish. But now these Jewish Christians are struggling to understand, how do I live in light of a person or being a person who believes in Jesus and yet has a Jewish upbringing and background. Like, how do I reconcile these two worldviews? Now, there were some people who struggled and said, no, 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 in order to be a Christian, you have to keep Jewish practices that were outlined for us in the law. And so they would not approve of sharing a meal with even a Gentile Christian. There was a divide in some areas of the church at that time. And so Peter comes up, and he brings with him some friends. They're having meals with Gentile Christians. But then Peter hears that some of these people who don't agree with that practice are coming up from Jerusalem, and they're coming into town for a visit. And so when Peter hears that they're coming, he kind of does a little backpedaling. He no longer eats with Gentile Christians. And, and, and his example, following his example, a lot of the other Jewish Christians separate themselves too. And so now Paul sees this, and he's like, wait a minute, why are there all of a sudden a divide when there should be oneness, there should be unity? And so he's kind of in this section of Scripture admonishing Peter for the way that he's living inconsistently. And the inconsistency is this, you profess to know Jesus, and yet you're living your life trying to adhere to a set of rules or laws that are no longer applicable. And so the question arises, where, Peter, do you find your justification? Where do you find your approval from God? Is it truly in Jesus, or are you still in some part of who you are relying on what he will call in the text works of the law? Which is it? Because it can't be both. And the same is true for you and I. You can't have grace in Jesus and yet still think somehow that God approves of you based upon how good you are. Because the reality is, not to hurt your feelings, you're not good enough to warrant the approval and the grace and the love of God. But the good news is is that through Jesus, in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his perfection, we have the approval of 
the Father. And so the challenge is this. Which is it going to be? Either you live in grace and you live out of grace, or you're going to choose to live, just like Carson put on his little card to Santa, trying to be better. And I think for many of us, we've tried to be better for long enough to realize that that's just a broken road. I can't, you can't, pull it together. Anybody ever tried to pull it together? New Year's is coming, so that's when everybody's going to try again to pull it together. You can't pull yourself together enough to be approved and to be declared righteous by God. And so that's the background of what's going on. And so Paul writes in this, and he says, hey, what's it going to be? Effort? Or are you really actually going to live out of grace? And so we got to pull the car over for a second and look at the law, what it means. Look at verse 15 and 16. Now, he's talking about Jews who had the law. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So he's talking to some Jewish Christians who know what the law is. Now, you and I today, we don't really have a good grasp of what the Jewish law was supposed to be. Now, for them, the law was not a means to salvation. We kind of get that confused sometimes. The law was not how Israel was saved. Israel was saved because they were in relationship with God through the covenant. If you notice that, if you look at the Old Testament, they were God's people chosen before the law was given. So so Paul is saying, hey, even as a Jewish person, you weren't saved, you weren't approved by God because of the law. That, That was completely separate from the law. The law was actually just given to you to show you and to teach you how to live like a person who is approved and chosen by God. And yet they got it backwards. Just like us oftentimes, if you give us a list of to-dos, we will quickly make that to-do into an identity. That doing these things makes me who I am. And so Paul is writing this, he's saying, no, 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 it's never been that way. The law was never meant to save you. So even if, even if you could keep all the laws in Scripture, would you be saved? If you could keep everything perfectly, would that cause God to look at you and say, yes, now I approve of you? No, it can't. That just means that you're a person who can do actions, but it doesn't deal with the brokenness in you. Laws don't change you. Only God can change the heart, and that's what grace does. And so what Paul is talking about here is, hey, if works of the law, if you being able to keep everything in the law saved you, then you're not saved because nobody's kept the whole law. So what's it going to be? You can keep trying to rely on your efforts to pull it all together and impress God with how good you are. And that's a broken game. It's never going to work. And you're going to continually live frustrated, feeling like you're not good enough for God. Feeling like you've got to go out and piece it and pull it together. And then maybe if I do that, maybe God, then you'll look at me and be pleased. And Paul is saying that's not what the law was for. You can do all of these things and still not be righteous. So if I were to to use a broken example, if a bunch of NFL coaches came up with a list 
of what it means to be a quarterback. And they printed this out and they gave it to me. And it says, okay, Ryan, if, to be a quarterback, you've got to be able to make every single pass, never get sacked, have a, have a perfect passer rating, all of these things. If you can do these things, then you'll be a quarterback. And so they print out this list. And so I take this list and I go home every day after work. And I go in the backyard and I practice and I practice and I practice. And then I come to you on Sunday. And I say, let's have a game of pickup football in the courtyard after church. And I drag all of us out there and you come and I'm going to showcase my skills for you. And I go out there and we play a little pickup football. And I make every single pass. And Dan Kramer tries to sack me. And I say, nah, sorry Dan, ain't going to happen. And I stiff arm him. Doesn't sack me, not once. I make every single pass. I'm out there and I'm looking fantastic. And I check off every single box on that list. And then Monday morning, I call up the Rams coach. And I'm like, hey, I'm your guy. Look at this. I played pickup football in the courtyard at church. Dan tried to sack me and he couldn't touch me. And I made this whole list. And I meet every single requirement on your list. Am I the quarterback? No, guy. You're just, you're just the guy who can go in the courtyard and play pickup football. It doesn't make me a quarterback. It might on the Rams because you guys are so desperate. But it doesn't make me. It doesn't make hey. It doesn't make me a quarterback. Being able to do actions doesn't change my identity. I'm still just Ryan who can go play pickup football. It doesn't make me a quarterback. And the same thing is true of my efforts. Even if I could, even if you could get everything down right, does that make you righteous? No, it doesn't. It doesn't because it doesn't deal with the identity. It doesn't deal with the identity of being a broken person, marred by sin. There's only one thing that can do something about that. And that's what Paul is pointing Peter back to. He's like, hey, even as Jewish Christians... We've put our faith in Jesus. We had the law. We knew. And if we thought it could accomplish what we wanted, we would have done it. And we tried it. And it doesn't work because it was never designed to make you approved by God. And so when Jesus comes along, Paul is saying, that's why we've turned to him. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus that he is perfect. And then I say, I'm not perfect, I'm not righteous, God, apart from him, I'm never going to be approved by you. But here's the beautiful thing, through him, I am approved right where I'm at. And you, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of you trying to pull it all together, because of Jesus and your faith in him, you're approved. And here's where we're going with this. There's a big difference when people who follow Jesus live like people who have his approval already, as opposed to people who are trying to earn it. And the beautiful thing is, and we believe this, no matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are, no, no matter how you would self-describe on your note card to Santa, there's grace for you. There's grace. God's not hiding it. He's not playing hide and seek with it. It is available to you in Christ Jesus. We teach our kids this, and we're raising really weird pastor kids in the house, but we've been trying to teach them about grace, right? So when we mess up, 
when we make mistakes, it's not just about saying we're sorry, but we try and frame it through the lens of grace. So even as children, they understand how we relate to God through grace. And so this has a great impact a lot of times, uh, but they're still six and five, and so they're trying to theologically grasp this. And so they understand now when they do wrong to each other, we teach them, okay, give grace to your brother. Meaning, yes, he messed up and he wronged you, but you, like Jesus gave us, give him grace. He might not deserve it, but give him grace. And sometimes it, it makes for beautiful, like, perfect examples. As a parent, you feel like you won. Like, yes, my children, look, they're hugging. They're giving each other grace. It's, oh, mijo, it's beautiful. And then other times, it doesn't go as planned. And I've got Camden, my spicy one, running through the house, his older brother chasing him, screaming after him, give me grace! <laughs> and Camden, if you know Camden, running away going, I'm not going to give you any grace! And he's running around the house as if grace is something that he can barter. Like, I'm not going to give you any grace. Give it to me. And then they chase each other, and then it turns into a fight. Not quite the biblical view of grace, but we're getting there. But God's not like that. He's not, he's not running away with his grace. It's always there. It's always there, always available. No matter how many times you've broken, no matter how many times you've failed to hit that QB lineup, there's always grace. And so that's the first thing. My prayer is that you would just exchange this morning. For some of you, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus before. And my invitation to you would be to consider what it means to experience grace in Jesus. So when we talk about grace, it's not that the people who have put their faith in Jesus are perfect. That's far from it. Spend time in church for a little while and you'll validate that. We're not perfect. But we rely on the perfect one. And we say, hey, I'm still broken. I'm, I can't pull it together, but I trust in Jesus. And in his goodness and his perfection, I have received God's approval. Or the, the theological term we use is justification. That I can stand before God justified. I'm not guilty in his eyes. Because of what Jesus has done. All right, so if you've never experienced that before, man, my prayer for you is that you would consider the difference that could make in your life. To, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you stand before God approved by him. And then for those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus, I know our tendency. And our tendency is to do exactly what Paul is encouraging us not to do. We put our faith in Jesus, but then we do this thing over time. I know God loves me, but then I grapple with my brokenness that still exists. And my inclination is I'm going to slowly move away from grace and I'm going to go over here and I'm just going to try and fix it. I'm going I'm to pull the pieces of Ryan together. And don't worry, God, when I do this, when I fix this broken mess, then, then you will approve of me. Then you'll see that I'm good. And even though we've tasted grace, we slowly make our way back to this belief system that I've got to have it together I've got to pull it together. And that's so far contrary to the gospel. Because the reality is, is that your effort doesn't save you. Your efforts expose you for who you are. You're broken. And your best effort on your best day doesn't save you. It just exposes you. 
Because the best you can be is not good enough. Your efforts don't save you. They expose you. Look at verse 18. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about rebuilding. right? He's saying, if I go and I experience grace in Jesus, if I go back then to trying to earn it, trying to work for it, trying to do it myself, this is what he says. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. He's saying it doesn't make any sense. If I have grace in Christ, why am I going back to Ryan trying to do it by himself? Don't worry, Santa. Don't, I'm going to try harder this year. And we don't really say this because we know that it doesn't, it's not right, and yet we live this way for so many of us. And that's why when we do fail, it shatters us because we never really understood grace in the first place. Do you get that? So many of us who follow Jesus, we, we, we wrestle with this. If we really understood grace, then our failures wouldn't shatter us like they tend to. But when my approval from God is dependent upon my actions and upon having it together, when you fail and you will, it shatters us. Because we're still somewhere in our hearts tying together me being good with God approving me. And that's simply not the gospel of Jesus. And again, my prayer this morning is that we would just breathe in that grace. And so that's the question then. Okay, I, I, have, my, I have faith in Jesus. I know what his grace is like. But then we wrestle with, I'm still a broken, messed up person. Anybody in here follow Jesus and validate that? Not me, you. You're not answering for me. Six of you, okay. We need to talk after church. We wrestle with this. I have faith in Jesus, and yet I still acknowledge in my daily existence, I'm a broken person. Ryan is still a selfish, greedy person. When if you give him extra time or extra money, he's going to want that for himself, right? And that's just one of my areas of brokenness. I have many, many more. I'm a broken person. And so I wrestle with this. God, you say that you're approving of me. You say I'm approved, and yet I still have brokenness. And here's what the gospel the, would point us to, is what we would call a New Testament ethic. That means how do I live now as a person who's approved by God, and yet I'm still a mess, a hot mess? How do I do this? And so a New Testament ethic is, is, is this. Live in light of who you already are. And we're going to look at some, at, at some scripture here to validate that. But live in light of who you already are. Because the gospel's not opposed to effort. Right? Here's, here's one of the main takeaways of our time in scripture this morning. The gospel is not opposed to effort. But there's a difference between effort to earn his approval and effort because I already have his approval. You know what I mean? And too many of us are working to be approved as opposed to working out of already being approved. And there's, and there's a big difference between trying to earn grace and being motivated by his grace. And my prayer for those of us in the church is that we would get that. That we'd be people who are motivated by grace. That we would be living in light of the reality of who we are. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. And listen to this. The way that Paul describes the condition. And we're going to look at the tenses, right? Look at verse 2. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Paul's trying to help people understand the reality of being dead and yet alive at the same time. And he says this, We are those who have died to sin. Past tense, we have died to sin. It's already happened. It's a complete action. We're dead to it. How is that possible? Look at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. That's the gospel right there. My old self crucified with him, therefore I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the effect of sin. That eternally it has no hold on me. I'm dead to it. And yet, as many of you can attest and verify, I am still a broken person. Look at verse 11. I'm dead to sin. I've been crucified. And yet... Here's the New Testament ethic. I'm dead to something, and yet I'm still efforting towards something. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Do you catch what's going on there? You're dead to sin, but there's still a putting to death that's taking place in your life. And that is where grace comes in. You're dead to sin. It doesn't define or describe who you are in the eyes of God. You're approved. And yet, you're a person who's approved that's probably more than the six of us who raised our hands still broken and messed up. And therefore, count yourself. Live in light of the fact that you're a person who's dead to sin by putting the remnant of sin to death. And here's the beauty of that. That means that you're still going to fail. That's the truth of the gospel. You're still going to fail. You're going to fail many, many times. The difference is, when grace is a motivator, you're stumbling forward in grace. As opposed to, when I'm trying to earn grace, I'm always falling backwards. I'm broken. I'm shattered. I'm not good anymore. God can't love me anymore. Because you're not living in light of the reality of who you are. And there's a big difference between the two. When Taylor and I were dating, this is 10 years ago, I was a hot mess. I lived in my parents' spare bedroom. I drove a 2000 Chevy Blazer. It was sweet. It didn't, the passenger door didn't open, so you had to let your date in from the inside. It was awesome. The, the seats folded down in the back, and so in between my college classes, I would sleep in the back of my car. I was living the life. I was a catch. <laughs> Coincidentally, probably unrelated, I hadn't had a date in five years. Super strange. <laughs> and then after five years of wondering, Lord, where's, where's my wife? What's wrong? He brings Taylor into my life. And by the, by the grace of God, she stuck around. <laughs> and I, at the beginning of our relationship, I was still having a hard time, right? If you haven't had a date in five years, it's, and it wasn't because I wasn't trying. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> like a, many times. And then all of a sudden, Taylor comes into my life. And we started to date, and she started to 
speak kindly to me. And, and she, li- I think you liked what you saw. And in my mind, there was a shift that was trying to take place of, I'm not, like, why? Every single guy has that question when a girl shows interest. Why? And she began, in the beginning of our relationship, it was, why do you like me? And it's not because of my sweet ride. When I went on a vacation with, we were dating for a month, and we went on a vacation, I went with my guy friends. She had to clean out my car as an act of love to me, because it was like I was living in the back of it. And so that was the first impression. She's like, I love this guy. Well, not love him. I like this guy, but I'm going to clean out his car for him because he's a hot mess. And so even in the midst of all of that, she approved of me. And it was hard for me to accept that. Do you ever have people come into your life and they just, uh, they, they value you and you're wondering, like, I'm not worthy of this. And it takes a shift. Now, in the beginning, it was, what does she possibly see in me? Because nobody else has seen that for years. And now, over time, it's changed to where, rather than trying to seek her approval, now I know I have it as her husband. And now her approval, I'm not living my life now trying to earn it. But there's a big difference now of she is what motivates me. The way that she feels about me. Knowing that I have her, her love and her approval, it motivates me. And it inspires me and makes me feel like I can do anything. And over time that's changed, whereas I used to feel like I had to kind of like prove that I was worth it. Now it's a shift of, man, now I feel like she, I'm convinced of it. And because of that, it's, it's the wind in my sails. And the same thing is true of, of grace. There's a difference. When you're trying to earn grace, there's insecurity. And you can't be broken because you're not sure if you deserve it. But then when there's a transformation, there's a paradigm shift that happens. When you truly become convinced that God approves of you just as you are right now. Like, think about that. Sit, and I want you to sit with who you are, the real you, not not necessarily the Sunday you. Like, the real you in your brokenness and your imperfection. And the gospel says, because of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, he approves of you right now. Right now, he approves of you. And for some of us, that doesn't sit well. Because it doesn't make sense. Why? But there's a difference when you have his approval, it motivates you forward. And that's what we call a New Testament ethic. I am who he says I am. Therefore, I'm motivated to, be, to put these things to death and to become and to pursue righteousness. All right, let's close with this. Go to Colossians chapter 3. And here's another way. Paul uses the same language. Look at verse 3. For you died, you're dead, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're dead to those things. You're alive because of him and in him. And then verse 5. This is where we wrestle and work it out. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. 
And so my prayer is that as, as people here at GGFC, that we would understand that. There's a big difference between a church that's working and serving, trying to earn his approval, and a church that has his approval, is convinced of it, and is therefore free to serve. Because it, we're convinced of his grace. So that's my prayer. We're going to go into open worship right now. And my prayer is that you would just breathe in deeply of the grace of God. Whether for the first time or whether you need to be reminded of it. That in this very moment, because of Christ Jesus, you're approved. Whether you feel like you deserve it or not. And because of that, I pray that would be motivating to you. That, man, I'm going to go forward now and pursue grace, not because I'm trying to earn his approval, because I already have it. That that would change the way that you follow after Jesus. Let's go into a time of open worship. If you don't know what that is, it's just a few moments of quiet, right? As I pray, the team is going to come out, and they're going to play a little bit in the background. And it's just a moment for you to sit in quiet with the Lord and continue this conversation. Lord, I don't understand what grace is. I thought I did, but I'm still a person who's trying to earn your approval. And I pray that you just be liberated of that this morning. And that his grace would motivate you forward as one who is approved. All right, let's pray, and then I'll come up and I'll close that time.